hi there, Karen here. The episode you're about to hear was recorded live across the globe over Zoom. As a result, you may experience varying microphone levels. Thanks for understanding, and thanks for listening. Hey, everybody, it's Karen, anthropologist, historical archaeologist, and wannabe time traveler. I'm not even going to say welcome to another episode of Working Over Time because this is a really different episode from what we usually do. As we've come to the end of season one, which is, I mean, I'm like pinching myself. I can't believe it. So 16 episodes live already, all with just incredible guests. We just decided amongst ourselves, those of us who put this thing together every week, that we wanted to kind of do a little navel gazing really and share it with, with our audience. It's been an incredible journey uh, developing this podcast uh, from the point of an idea to just sort of trying it out and iterating and figuring out really what the heart of it was that we wanted to share it with our listeners. So that's what we're going to do today. Um, and we're going to start out by introducing you to the people who are behind the series, not just behind the scenes. And working over time is a co-production between Little Fire and Past Preservers. And I'm going to leave uh, the discussion of Little Fire and, and who they are and what they do to my wonderful colleagues of Little Fire, Aiden and Raz, who I'll introduce in a moment. But I want to just talk for a second about Past Preservers, which is the historical media consultancy and um, talent agency that I'm represented by. It's led by Nigel Hetherington, who is himself an archaeologist and very passionate about preserving the past, obviously, hence the name. But it's the partnership with past preservers that I have to say um, is the reason why this series is so expert-led and why uh, I've been blown away by every guest I've talked to. And I think the content just represents the caliber of the people that Past Preservers represents. So um, do check it out if you have any interest in looking for representation yourself, if you're anybody who uh, deals with the past, um, whether professionally or avocationally, um, Nigel's the one to talk to. And so thank you, Nigel and Past Preservers for making this, this series as, as good as it possibly could be. It's only as good as the guests, frankly. But that said, I would like to ask Aiden La Liberty of Little Fire to introduce himself and tell you what he does with the podcast. Uh, thank you, Karen, um, for that awesome intro. Um, yeah, so I'm Aiden. I am co-producer and co-writer on the podcast. Um, so I assist with scheduling our prelim screening calls with uh, possible guest experts. Um, I work with uh, our team to schedule the actual recording sessions um, and to communicate to our guests exactly what to expect when they come on the show. Um, and then I also do content writing. And so we um, we really want all of the guests to talk about what they want to talk about. I think that's, you know, as you said, Karen, I think that's what makes the show what it is. Um, you know, it's expert led, but it's also, uh, you know, it's it's not just, okay, here's this information from these guests that we're getting incredible array of information, but it's it's that passion, that genuine passion that we also get to Yeah. Have. Yeah, it's it's a genie in a bottle. You can't get it unless it, no, it's real or it's not. And I think it makes such a difference. And okay, Raz, would you please jump in? Raz Cunningham, the other half of the Little Fire Dynamic Duo. Sure, yes. Uh, my name's Raz. I am, I guess you could say the director on this, although directing a podcast is a little bit different than directing video. Uh, Primarily, I edit the piece. I, I guess you could say I'm default the podcast's biggest fan because I listen to it over and over and over again <laughs> while <laughs> editing it. No one listens to it more than me. So uh, it's been a truly fantastic, unique, memorable experience so far. Uh, it's presented many opportunities to learn amazing insights and presented many challenges to cut together a podcast that is that gets its audio files from from zoom which is currently what we're using uh, as our guests are all over the world and they don't all have the same or all have the most ideal audio recording equipment uh, we do our best to make sure uh, 
that we can balance it as much as possible. Um, the levels being up and down and left and right. So I am the person that edits all of that together, does his best to balance it. Uh, audio editing is, is new to me, as I'm sure you can tell. But no, I, do, I, I would I, never know that. Oh, it, I mean, it's one thing to edit the content. It's another to try to make sure it's technically also decent. And I have some friends who I've worked with over the years in audio mixing that have shown me a few tricks. And I think it, I would say that the audio mixing is, is competent. I think we need, we can say that. Um, but thank you. That's, that's what I do. I, I lend a creative hand when I can. I, um, I do lend a hand with outlines sometimes, although I don't have as much insight into that world as I would like to. And uh, originally the creative direction certainly had more of a hand in that when we started, but since we've been up and running, it's organically changed and grown and, and it just makes me so happy to see that. Mm, me too. I know Aiden and I watch a lot of Science and Discovery Network content and it's gotten to the point where all, all of our guests who are part of Path Preservers, I think we've seen about 90% of them on television constantly as these experts in these shows. So now when I hear their voices, whether I'm in another, in the kitchen or something, I'll hear the voices <laughs> from the other room and be like, oh, did I not cut? Is it still rolling? It's like, no, no the, the episode, no, 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 they're just on TV, whether it's, you know, Forbidden History or What on Earth or Secrets of the Ice. I think, Karen, you're on all of those. Um, but, you know, we had Andrew Kinkella, Sheila shows up every now and then. It's just, it's interesting. We got Clint Janulis. Clint's good. Oh, yeah, I, you know, I, this is no, like, insult to you, Karen, at all. I mean, I love it, but... I think I've gotten so used to, there was a time, I think it was a moment like last month where I've been so used to hearing your voice, Karen, at, you know, all these times recording and the countless Zoom calls we've had working together on this, that when <laughs> there was science, there was science channel on one day and I'm walking through my kitchen and I hear your voice and I, I thought for a second, I'm like, it's finally happening. I've cracked. I can't get it out of my head. Like, I'm <laughs> hearing you my dream. everywhere. Oh dear. Well, the, I am in the UK now. And so I am not subject to the uh, apparently at times over barrage of my voice on, on the discovery and science channel. I'm so sorry to hear that you are hearing me in your kitchen. That's time to mute that, <laughs> mute that TV. <laughs> well, I would love for you guys to talk a little bit and share with our audience what the original concept for this show was and how it sort of has morphed to what it is now and you know what what you are happy about in that change and and maybe if there's anything that that you're sad about that you that you miss from the original idea well i think it it came down to we'd all the three of us i mean brads and myself had met you karen um last last fall on a separate project um and i think we all sort of it was it was very strange like we we really seemed to hit it off right away. Um, and I remember on the project we were working on, you know, all of our crew, because, um, you know, we're a video team, so we, we primarily had to making video content. Our crew had nothing but great, amazing things to say about you, Karen. Um, and was, I loved all of you. I didn't want to leave. Remember, I, I had to get back for my, for my practice race down, down the course for the head of the Charles. I was in the steering seat. And so the whole boat had to wait until I, you know, got there. And, and, well, anyway, they always do. But I kind of, I lingered longer than I should have because I, I liked you all. <laughs> no, it was, it was great. There was this amazing, you know, not to sound like corporate about it, but there's this amazing synergy kind of right off the back, uh, right off the bat, I think. And then pretty much from then we stayed in, in touch and we realized pretty pretty early on that we all, you know, our, we were all creative people. We were all sort of writers and, and worked in this industry, but we all had the same passion for educational content and, and more specifically historical science, science content. Um, and it, I think it was like in January, we were all putting our heads together and sort of talking about different unscripted shows that we liked and, and different, you know, content in that realm. And, uh, you know, it all just came from this idea of like, huh, you know, what would, you know, we all love shows like you know, dirty jobs and, and stuff like what would that look like through the lens of of history and it actually for me it started because i had you know before i got into this industry i was working in a completely different field and you know it was a field that was structured in a way that was very much the modern you know your typical bureaucratic office type setting you know where you have a manager and then you have like this sort of chain of command and um you know i, I remember think getting frustrated with that 
sort of structure of work. And I'm fascinated now um, by this push for changing the structure of our workplace and, and changing it to be more one that is actually collaborative and, and based on a network and not a bureaucratic chain. Um, and so from that abstract sort of idea about, you know, the modern workplace and what it means to work in today's economy, it sort of dovetailed into this, oh my God, what if we added this dimension of history to yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. Originally, we looked at it from the lens of could someone from today do their job or a version of their job in the past? Uh, that would be a completely different program, and that would require those people to have knowledge of that uh, from the past, which really is not something to expect. I mean, I don't, I couldn't tell you how a camera works from you know, Edison's first cameras. I couldn't do it. I'd break it. Um, which is fine if we had a guide with us, but that's not quite the program. Someone who is familiar with what we're what that job is. So it morphed into this expert-led podcast that we do now where we see history and the present through the lens of work, through the lens of a job. And I think a good example of that is, and I, I was talking about this the other day, and we all have our own favorite episodes that we think are our best, where I think of the episode we did with Deb about snake oil salesmen. And I think yeah. it is the most, because it's also a little fairly recent history. So not too, too long ago, like 150 years ago. Um, but to see the true full picture of how we went from snake oil salesmen to the FDA and all the regulation that we have today. And hearing that episode, there was not a beat that was missed. It was, this is what it was then, this was the step after that, then this step resulted from that, and then this step resulted from that, and here we are today. So while there are longer lenses to look at history, this episode, I think, is a good example of, of seeing how we got from this time period and the place that we chose to exactly where we are today. All of our other episodes are very good, and I like them a great, great deal, but I think if I'm gonna to point to one and say, in my opinion, this is kind of what we set out to do, that would be the episode. Yeah, I feel like, you know, there are definitely a few episodes that, you know, in my mind are I'm, I'm viewing as almost showcase episodes where it just really was the format that we, like you said, we had set out to do, um, you know, others that come to mind. And, and some of the ones that aren't like that, that are unexpected, that go in unexpected areas are some of my, you know, favorites as well. It's not to say that like, oh, we only need these episodes to, you know, to, I mean, every episode offers something unique, but. And that's because the guests, the guests are just so good. Every guest is, we don't have bad guests. Oh no, everyone's been so delightful, honestly. There is no guest that is better than another guest. We don't have that, you know, it's almost problematic, but we don't have it. And I think it's also a testament to, you know, having you, Karen, be involved is so great because you can, you can speak the sort of academic lingo, uh, you know, both literally and figuratively. You can, you know, you, you've been in the position of these guests. You are an expert yourself. And I think that also adds a, a really nice um, dimension to what, to what we do on the show as well. Um, you know, you're sort of the connective tissue. You're our bridge to the expert world. Yeah. Well, you know, it's so funny. Um, I'm glad you see it in that positive light because I, I always feel <laughs> find myself midway through these conversations when I have fully lost myself and I'm really just having, no, the time of my life. I swear I forget that we're recording. Oh, I do too. Almost often. every episode. And, you know, this is why, I, you know, I get really down in the weeds sometimes. And, you know, that is the natural inclination sometimes of people who, even come from a past academic affiliation. I, I work pretty firmly in popular media now um, because it's what I choose to do, but my heart really belongs <laughs> in the years and years of training and experience that I, that I had as a, as a practicing academic. And so uh, I, I love to hear um, Raz talking about his you know, favorite episode, just in the sense of formal perfection, like this is what we set out to achieve, because I think I tend to um, need to be reined in. And I appreciate you guys helping me to do that. Sometimes I, I'm much more free and easy, like, well, I think the format is robust enough to stretch to accommodate this topic or, or, you know, going down that primrose path. So I think that our partnership makes for a very kind of dynamic and um, you know, I, I think robust model 
maybe more so than if we all were on the same page, like, okay, this is the narrow, this is the format and this is what we're going to stick to. Oh yeah, no, I agree. I think, you know, each of us does bring a very, you know, the three of us, we do bring a very unique um, perspective and, and Nigel, you know, too, as the, as the other producer, you know, we all bring something different to this. I mean, you know, Nigel's, you know, himself, he's a, he's an archeologist. You yourself, you, you, I know you are both an archeologist and an anthropologist, but anthropology seems to be the thing that you are, you know, that's your bread and butter. Um, and then Raz and I come from a very different background as well. So it's, it's, it's a, it's a mixture of all these different angles and it's some, it just results in this show that I, you know, I really love our narrative day in the life, you know, setting the stage in a, in a very, almost in a story like format and, but also having those, that academic conjecture, um, you know, it's a really nice, yes. I think what I was finding, you know, in, in our, our research uh, on some possible reference podcasts and shows for this, I was finding it was either one or the other. It was either a fully scripted story or it was just interviews. And often those interviews would be with several people. Um, and so I really like that we've sort of hit this balance between both. I agree with that. And I think that we have uh, evolved to the point where we can allow ourselves some wiggle room to look at either the day in the life and start there of a worker in a certain job or career and also to look at systems you know we have a, a good example of that is dr Siam proctor's episode where we uh look at the mercury 13 and we see what their you know their training was we looked at how they were trained but through that lens we also saw the systems that they had to work within and that worked against them so we started very much this is the all these women you know they were pilots they did x y and z they all had these commonalities so we learned about that but then we also learned about the systems that they were up against. And by focusing on both the job and the system, we allow our guests to have this breadth of room in which to communicate how we function today through the lens of the past of these jobs. And it just, it fascinates me so, so much. And I'm just so proud of all of the guests because they all get it. They all understand what we're trying to do. And Karen, you lead them down this road of understanding and if, you know, if anyone veers off, you'll never hear it in a podcast because I ended it out. But we bring them right back and it's seamless because they, they know what the goal is, but they love, they love what they're talking about so much that they can't help but go into things. So it's like, okay, we get, thank you so much for sharing all of that. We're going to use all of that or as much as we can. We've got to go back to the original, the original premise. We only got, you know, we only saw what she ate for breakfast. Take us through lunch. What's she doing? In <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. She's... She's stuck at breakfast, let her go. No, I, I think that is so true. And I think that also um, really circles back beautifully to what Aiden said about how the structure of this, the narrative arc, if you will. Uh, and I, you know, I'm a storyteller as well. And that's actually as important to me as my, my academic work. Um, and so to be able to combine those two modes of communication is, is actually, it's kind of unheard of in academia. I mean, it's frowned upon, frankly, because it seems conjectural in a bad way, right? It's like, well, where's the fact? But our narrative frame is always very fact-based and it actually is drawn from what our guest has shared with us in the discussion. And I, I think we use it in a really nice way to set the stage, to set a tone and to pull the listeners in, in a very immediate sense. And I very deliberately always put all of those terms into this second person, you, it's you, it's you, it's you, the listener, here you are. I find it really um, resonant because I almost, I almost hesitate to call our podcast a historical podcast because yes, the kernel of each episode is rooted in a job that was performed in the past in, in some culture, whether near, far, it could be the recent past. Um, as you say, the, the case of the, um, the astronauts, I mean, that's just several decades ago, right? All the way to the ancient past, but absolutely woven throughout all of the broader discussion is you know analogs to the modern day and to how we live today and to how this job really 
can tell us something about what it means to be human now as well as in the past. And I find that to be really powerful. And I mean, I might, I don't want to sound like I'm patting ourselves on our back. I'm not, but it's, it's kind of a, it's a unique hybrid. I, I don't know. I, I would just hesitate to call it strictly a history podcast. And so I don't know if anyone has any ideas, but. No, I feel, I feel like, you know, we are just as much a history as we are a culture cultural podcast as we are almost also a science podcast. I mean, there's plenty of science that also comes through um, in the episodes um, as it should, because, you know, science has, has is, is the history of science is also the history of people just as much as, you know, what you're, what you would typically think of as historic history and academics. Um, and so I feel like it's sort of a mixture of all of those things. A lot of history podcasts look at large events in history and they look at these large grand historical figures. And that's great because that helps relate to something you may have heard of. But they always talk about the macro and they always talk about those lifestyles. And two guests that do that, that did that really well for us or have had two things that stand out in my mind are Andrew Kinkella when he was talking about you know, the type of archaeology he likes to do. And what fascinates him is, you know, okay, there are all these kings, but I want to go into the houses and I want to see what they find. Finding like this kid's jar that was labeled, this is Justin's jar, because most of us are not famous people. Most of us are not notable people. And then Mel Hanson focuses entirely on these houses. And there's no, other than the royal houses that she's looking at in England that she might have some connection, there might be some connection to with royalty. She's looking at people's actual homes. So these two are very good examples of how history truly is important to everyone every day because it's someone's grandparents lived in those houses. Whether it's yours or someone else's, someone's did. They're not famous. They're houses that they lived in. This kid, Justin, back in the Mayan days, or just as an example, whatever the translation of that would be, this kid had that jar for a reason. He put stuff in it. It meant stuff to him. Our own kids or nieces and nephews do that. It, it just, nothing changes, but everything changes. And, and, and our guests do such a good job at showing that. Yeah, I, I, the Justin's Jar thing is, is one of those things that was very striking to me when I first heard it, because I'm like, oh, that so beautifully illustrates, you know, his point and what we're trying to do, I think, with the show and what I'm sure other creators in this, in this history podcasting realm and, and other storytellers try to do as well. Um, I think... You know, I just love this central question about, you know, what does it mean to be a human? What does it mean to work? And how, you know, how does the work that we do reflect who we are as people? Yeah. And you look at all of our guests use context really well as well. I mean, that's something that you don't always get when you look at famous historical uh, figures. They often eclipse the story themselves, you know, in our tomb robbing uh, Tomb Raiding episode that we just released, it was Katie Paul talking about how, you know, and you, Karen as well, talking about how King Tut's legend eclipsed the reality of who he was. There wasn't much to his tomb. It was very small, but it was intact. So that, that was the case. And then you look at Sheila's episode and the context that, you know, these dancers had to deal with. Yeah, they were dealing with crappy stuff, but it's how they survived. There was this night, the context of what they're doing is something to strive for, but there's also this shady underbelly that goes with Mm -hmm. par for the fricking course you know there was no the judge even their own mothers were just like well i mean i we got to do what we got to do so thank god you can dance (laughs) go do it go dance go dance (laughs) be nice to the fat men (laughs) and then we get moulin rouge so hearing these topics from people that care so much about these topics i think is a unique gift and an opportunity that most people normally would not get. I agree. Well, now that you've gotten a little peek behind our own series, Working Over Time, I'm really excited to open up our conversation to include uh, some fellow content creators who are focused on historical topics and approach them in different ways, also for uh, a broad public listening audience, um, one uh, uh, sort of more academically oriented traditional history podcast, and also uh, a little more freewheeling, and I I honestly think it's like tightrope walking, but um, a live YouTube show, which uh, has conversations taking place live and fully visible to the audience, which is invited to participate. So my two guests are Natasha Bilson, 
Tash Archeo, as I know her on many of her social media channels. She's an archeologist and her YouTube show is entitled Archeologists in Quarantine. And we've also got with us today, Ryan Stitt, who hosts the amazingly um, robust and longstanding podcast called The History of Ancient Greece. So as you said, my name's Natasha Bilson. I'm a commercial field archeologist based in the UK. I work really all over at the moment due to COVID I'm back in London, my hometown. And as you mentioned earlier, I do YouTube live streaming on my YouTube channel Behind the Trowel. And I have a live show called Archaeologists in Quarantine. And just like the name, it was inspired by current world pandemic. And what, what better way to engage with other archaeologists on the public than to find these archaeologists and chat to them. They were yeah. pretty bored, so. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's a little easier maybe these days to get guests, right? I wonder if it'll be harder once the world reopens. Maybe it never will. <laughs> Definitely. I think it's going to be, yeah. I mean, you know how it is. It's so hard to contact another archaeologist. They're always somewhere in the middle of nowhere. So it's, yeah. been, it's been great in that sense. <laughs> the thing about behind the trial is I had this tagline, archaeologists sip out the dirt on their experiences and research. And that is really what I'm trying to do with archaeologists in quarantine. Just find a way to interact with these specialists or academics who in other situations wouldn't be able to speak to us or have had the opportunity or, you know, because you know how it is. Normally, if you have a research project, you, you talk about this at a conference or you write a paper and it's peer reviewed. It's not open to the public. It's not accessible. Not at all. And for my... Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And for myself, being a commercial archaeologist, I don't have the money and the time and the sponsor to be able to go to these conferences. So this is, for me, self-learning as well. And it's kind of that journey with the audience, with the public. Thank you so much. So I can't wait to circle back to about 10 things you said in your introduction. So thank you. And But first, I'm going to let Ryan Stitt introduce himself and, and we'll welcome him into the conversation. Hi, Karen. Yeah, like you, I uh, I highly edit my podcast, um, <laughs> and I didn't realize until I started recording um, that I have read ancient Greek words and names of proper nouns in my head hundreds upon hundreds of times, and then when you actually go to say it out loud, my brain turns to mush, and I don't know where the I don't know where the accent goes, and I'm just like ah. And I'm just like like mouthing it out different times and I'm like, oh, that sounds about right. Let's go with that one. <laughs> and so like it's like highly like I'm saying sentences over and over again in my my, my podcast is scripted. So I'm just like, I don't know where this accent goes in this syllable. <laughs> um, this sounds right. And then I also I learned Greek with like modern ancient. So sometimes I'll, oh. I'll just randomly say like Aristophanes. Like, like, um, <laughs> like there's modern ways of saying Greek. There's like an ancient way of saying it. There's the anglicized way of saying it. So like, yeah, got it. for okay. example, it's like modern Greek says Aristophanes, where it's like in English, we'll say Aristophanes. Like, you say yeah. tomato, I say tomato. We all know what we mean. That's what matters, isn't it? And how did you, how did you come to do this podcast, Ryan? Can you tell us a little bit about your background? Yeah, so I, um came to education pretty non-traditionally in the sense that I came to classics really late, classical history. Um, I went to the University of Alabama in America. We had a small classics department. Um, I was listening to podcasts and iTunes use lecture um, for pretty early on, um, like, you know, 2007, 2008. So I, I, I supplemented a lot of my uh, my my classes with exterior knowledge from like audio the audio medium um so i was very familiar with it and there's a lot of rome there was the history of rome um and i waited patiently for somebody to make the history of greece and it never happened so i decided to make it and then when i started to make it i realized why it never happened because it's a jumbled mess and it takes a lot <laughs> but i love that you just stepped in and and plug the gap. That's so great. Well, it took That's me so great. Well, it took me five years to get off the ground. Uh, Cause I was too scared to do it. I, I, I was very, yeah, oh, I, like, I was you. like five years. I wanted to do it in like 2011. It took me until 2016 to finally pull the trigger and just go with it. Cause I was just like, Oh, 
nobody will listen to me and I'll just get ridiculed. Because <laughs> who, like, who am I? I don't have any credentials. Of course, I, this is so natural. I felt the same way, believe me, when I first did my, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but you are, look, you have proven yourself very wrong. Your, your podcasts are in the triple digits and you have this great variety of approaches to your show, which I hope we can talk about a bit. Which it's just great. So thank you on behalf of all classical history buffs for pulling the trigger finally. <laughs> You're welcome. So Ryan, that, that was a great explanation for how you began your podcast. Uh, Tash, I, I know COVID obviously was the impetus for starting your podcast, but, uh, or not podcast, sorry, I misspeak, your show. <laughs> so tell us about wh what made you decide to go with a YouTube live format to start. Honestly, save time. <laughs> I just don't have the time to edit. I have so much footage that I've taken. I've made so many of these videos, kind of like educational history, archaeology, travel vlogs, and just on a topic in particular. And it's just editing time. I'm such a perfectionist. That I just don't have the time. I have a full-time job. It's so time consuming. I was like, let's just go live. Let's save some time. People can get to know me as well. <laughs> Well, Ryan, I, I know you were talking about, you know, how edited your show is. So I don't know you, you, if you can second Tash's opinion here. Um, I know that I feel like the editing takes a lot of time and I only help with sort of the fine editing at the end. That's largely Raz's job over at Little Fire. What do you think about Tash's comment? Uh, yeah, editing takes up. It's... <laughs> my podcast probably I mean my podcast is popular but I think it would be even more popular if I actually like put more effort into my editing by now by this point I'm just like it's like 90% of my effort goes into the research and writing and 10% in the actual recording and editing um so I'm just like uh I, I don't know you'll I, I hate doing it I absolutely hate doing it now I have interns who do it so uh oh, that's good <laughs> um that is good um but yeah I absolutely hate editing it's not I started the podcast as I said uh just, just to, to it was more of a, a passion hobby for me uh than anything because I'm, I'm no longer in academia so it was a way for me to like stay with what I uh, I'm passionate about in a constructive manner and not just you know like read books and it's it's like it's just my own personal consumption I thought I would put it towards anybody else I didn't really think anybody would listen to it I didn't really like uh, have an audio background I was just like well I'm gonna write these scripts because that's how I learn so when I'm reading I'm writing notes um, copiously I was like I'll write these scripts uh, I used to edit uh, Wikipedia articles um, uh, back in the day I don't do it as much anymore but I was so I was like oh, I'll just put this towards something that people can listen to and and then I was like well I'll just read it and you know I, I don't really know anything about audio I don't really I don't want to say I don't care about the audio format. Like I just like the intent was, you know, just put it somewhere where it could reach more people. Um, and then it quickly got popular and I was like, Oh, oh dang. and then, so then I started getting like very perfectionist and like people would critique how I would like speak and say certain words. So then I started to get like spending way too much time on the audio and then eventually you just reach a point where you don't care anymore. I'm like, okay, well, you know, like it, what matters is the content for me. Um, yeah, because this is because this is a hobby. It's not my it's not my job. It's not I'm not a full time uh, podcaster as a job. I do have a day job as well. So it was just like uh, I didn't want to like kill myself uh, metaphorically, obviously, uh, over something that is fall on your sword over your editing. Well, you know, I, I, I am I am getting that this podcast is actually the first project I've done that's actually helping me overcome my perfectionist evil ways and and you know little fire has a wonderful saying that perfection is the enemy of good i, I think that's right mm -hmm. i'm paraphrasing yep. and you know i don't think i actually believed it until we started pushing these things out and i would listen to the final edit and i would say oh no you know if it just we could just fix that little thing here and there and you know what? I don't think people actually notice these things that, that we notice. I mean, and, and Tash, you mentioned how you're, you feel like you're always saying, whoopsie, you know, which I think is actually really endearing and, and makes you seem all the more relatable. You're live, right? So I mean, you, you can't edit. <laughs> exactly. And the best thing about being live is that the audience get to participate 
in the, the interview that I'm conducting. I'm so glad you brought that up because that is this dynamic element is something that's missing at least from my podcast. And um, Ryan, I don't know if you, you've had a podcast where you had a live audience. So ap apologies, I don't wanna exclude you from that if you have, but Tash, could you tell us a little bit about how that works and how you think that adds to sort of the historical um, and entertainment value of your show? Right, so I not only stream on YouTube, I also go live on Instagram. And then I'm trying, I'm trying, trying an error at the moment. I'm trying to get onto Facebook as well, simultaneously. So I have these three platforms streaming my interviews wow. <laughs> at the same time. Yeah, it's pretty. Is that technologically hard? Oh my goodness. You do not. <sighs> like literally it's about, and before I go live, I'm like an hour before setting up. So by the time I'm like actually flustered by the time my live stream starts. I was going to say, I'd be ready for a nap. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, honestly, it's, it's so much work that goes into it that people don't understand. And as creators, you both will, will get that. Uh, but the, the beauty of going live is that the audience can literally type in a question, make a comment as we are going. Uh, with YouTube, it's a 20 second delay, but I've worked out how to change that now. So it should only be a few seconds behind. Um, and then, yeah, they can send a question in. I ask the audience to send a question in to, for my guests or for myself. And I, I ask them. I also have to just check to make sure it's okay to ask, because of course. Yeah. <laughs> luckily, those aren't read live. That, that could be a bit of a censorship problem. Yeah, exactly. So luckily, I quickly skim read. and Okay, I think I understand what they're trying to say. And then I'll ask the question. How many questions roughly do you get in an average show? And, oh. you know, do you find some topics are more engaging than others? And does that make you change how you approach your show in future episodes? Yeah, so I never know how many people are going to be live with me. It can be anything from five people to 30 people. Generally, on average, I have about 30, I would say, at one go, um, which is great. It's not too many. I don't think I can cope with more. I think once I had 80 people at one time. <gasps> yeah. Oh, that's great. And I was kind of freaking out because I was like, that's 80 people <sighs> watching me right now. But I've noticed that um, a lot of people, when they're really engaged, in something that they're watching or listening because mine's also visual like I, I ask the um, participant to show photos or we show videos so people understand what we're on about otherwise people have no yeah, you idea you have some really slick production values that way I have to say even your trailers are amazing so well done thank you I try I try <laughs> it's amazing oh, what you can really do <laughs> thanks that means a lot because yeah sometimes I have a lot of questions I can have maybe 40 50 questions other times I have like five so it really depends on the topic and if people are engaged, if they're interested. And I, I don't change it. I don't change the platform because generally I'm asking questions that I'm interested in. And then I just will find a question that is going with our conversation. Yeah. So it, it doesn't sound too dissimilar at all to, to the way I, I approached my interviews when I have a guest. And Ryan, I'd love to hear about how you interact with guests and or audience. Again, I'm, I'm sorry, I haven't noticed any of your um, episodes that have a live component, but I know you have a, a wide variety of narrative approaches you take. You, you sometimes just um, narrate your, your episode, other times you're interviewing a guest. And I, I loved your episode where you went out and brought your audience on a tour of a special exhibit at the Museum of Fine Arts. I thought that was so great. <laughs> Yeah, I don't, I, I don't do anything live. Um, the only time I've done live things is when I've been a guest on other podcasts. Um, and I didn't even know it was going to be live until like we were about to go. <laughs> That's probably um, good. Then you were more relaxed heading in. <laughs> yeah. So, and then I've done, a, I've done a few uh, uh, podcasting conferences that have, I've uploaded the audio into the, onto the feed so you can kind of hear the interaction um, with the crowd. But yeah, I, I haven't done, I don't do anything live. Like, how do you, do you, I guess this is more a broader question of how you prep for your interviews. If you have a guest on, I, I, you mentioned um, that you do a great deal of prep work and outlining of, as, as do I before interviewing a guest, but you know, how do you kind of prepare in terms of shaping the conversation 
or or do you in advance? You know, do you have an outline or do you wing it? <laughs> so to be honest, I do a lot of prep work for my narrative episodes. I do very little prep work for the guest episodes because I do so many of them. I have like a bunch recorded right now. Um, unless it's, it's like I'm reading a book. They sent me a book and want to talk about the book, then I'll, I'll, I'll read the book. I started doing the guest episodes because I hit a mental wall with the podcast. I just got burnt out. Uh, it was just too much to, I was doing it for four and a half years now. It was just a lot of work with my day job. It was busy. I had some personal stuff going on. So I just needed to change it up in order to get excited about the podcast again. So I started doing guest episodes and I didn't want to do something that was going to take a whole lot of mental effort. And so I was inviting guests that like I could have a conversation with them that was meant to be informal. And I basically acted as the, the, the dumb person who didn't know anything and just asked them questions. <laughs> um, and like, I would, the dumb I, person I, who actually knows quite a bit about the topic. I suspect yeah, yeah. I your mean, cover I have a, was blown pretty fast, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have a, like a rough outline of things, but I mean, generally speaking, it's just, you know, these are just topics I'm going to make sure that I hit. Uh, but if the camaraderie yeah. is there, yeah. usually it's more like an informal conversation at a pub and you're talking and be like, all right, so what's your background and how did you get to your top, this topic? Like, what have you, and then you just like, you know, and then I just write down questions as we talk. Yeah, very, that's very much the way it works for me, Ryan. And, mm -hmm. and that's when it feels great. And mm -hmm. I forget, I actually, I am not kidding. I forget that I'm doing this sometimes, mm -hmm. you know, I, I'm not looking at myself on the screen, Tash. I think I probably wouldn't be able to deal with it if I was looking <laughs> at myself on the screen, but there's, it's, it really does hit a flow state sometimes, which is unlike, you know, anything else I would have ever imagined a podcast production to be like, so mm -hmm. And now my narrative episodes are like the complete opposite. I will spend anywhere from like 40 to 100 hours per episode on those, Whoa. like crafting those. Yeah, but the, and, they're, they, and they're really great though. Mm -hmm. And I do recommend anyone who wants, and they are, they are detailed. And I see why you put that amount of, of effort in. It's a very different sort of approach to history. Um, I think then, for example, um, working over time, which takes much more of a narrative storytelling approach and trying always to kind of relate past work experiences mm -hmm. to what is very familiar to us still in the modern day, mm -hmm. all kind of through this anthropological lens. Because while I specialized in archaeology and have done my share of field archaeology, I'm, I'm really an anthropologist in terms of my, my academic training. And, mm -hmm. you know, so that, that's very much, for me, it's, it's very kind of reassuring to see that all these theories that I beat into my head about how culture works and what, what it means to be human, you know, it's sort of borne out again and again and again, whatever the topic, mm -hmm. um, you know. But I, I actually would love to, to pose that question to Tash, you know, um, what do you sort of see as the narrative anchor or lens, if any, for your show? <laughs> I don't know, actually. I think it's, for me, I, I literally find people who have really peculiar research areas. I try to. Also, of course, the more common things like uh, restoration in Egypt. I like to have a variety and the more random the better it is because I want to learn about everything and as a commercial like you know how it is you do I it love as well. it like as a yeah. commercial archaeologist I'm literally digging I'm outside all day every day about 90% of my time of my life in archaeology I've been outside digging holes right and I've actually forgotten so much that I've learned and studied in university and then I have friends who stayed in academia and I meet these people online who are in that side of archaeology. And I wanted to find a way to bridge the gap between commercial archaeologists and academic archaeologists. We all have the same goal at the end of the day. And that's the passion that we have for our subject. So for me, it's literally finding people who just want to have the opportunity to talk about what they research. That's all it is. And that's really my anchor if you like just finding people who are really enthusiastic and and open to talking with me and the public and telling us a bit about their world i love that and and honestly that that very quickly um became kind of the the core ethos of working over time as well as i mentioned at the beginning 
we had some ideas about what we wanted to talk about and kind of scrapped all of that prescriptive um, subject matter when we realized that there are so many people out there, kind of to flip what you're saying on its head in a sense, who are so excited and amazed that somebody actually wants to talk to them about what they love to do, their peculiar niche outside of the academic world, which as you say, I mean, my background is in like hardcore academia and I, I loved it. I still love it. Um, I will always love that uh, rigor of thought and analysis. But what I don't really love is the you know, real limitations on the expression of it and, and the way that you are acceptably able to share with other people, right? I mean, there's just such a, a very, you know, frankly, prescriptive academic way of speaking and of writing. And the fora in which you are allowed to do that are it's sort of your other six experts in the room at the conference who kind of you're having the same conversation that you have with them offline in papers and such. And so to me, it's very, very freeing and really exciting. Ryan, I would love to know what you think makes a good history podcast. It's a complicated question because I guess it just depends on what your intent is as a listener. Uh, what you're looking for um, and how much time you have to put into it. Like my podcast is very detailed. It's meant to kind of be like an audio textbook. Um, I mean, I've gotten better over time at making it um, we'll, we'll backtrack. So when I started um, writing my scripts, I was, I wrote very academic um, because that was my background. And it's four and a half years later, I'm my, my writing is now a lot more conversational. So it's the process, you know, experience is the best teacher. So it's my episodes have gotten a lot better at sounding like a conversation that I'm having, as opposed to me just reading a script. You were doing what you were trained to do as an academic. And, and I, I understand that, that syndrome very well. And it doesn't mean there's not a, a place for that, but yeah. And did you find that process liberating, scary? Well, I don't know. How did that feel for you? Yeah, I mean, sentences are, my sentences are a lot shorter. I'm, I'm less Ciceronian in my, like, my verbs aren't like three. <laughs> my verbs are like, I've gotten quicker to the point. I'm better at framing it. Like, I'll read a paragraph and I'll just be like, okay, what was the point of that paragraph? And, you know, I, I use a lot of transitions. It's, 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 I'm, I'm better at communicating instead of just, you know, just writing. Um, so me, me as a listener, I've always liked highly detailed narrative podcasts. Most of the history podcasts at first were by enthusiasts. There are a lot more, uh, quote unquote, like academics, uh, experts getting into the podcasting field, which is great because it's, 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 it's improving the content. Basically, I give advice to anyone who's starting podcasts out, like, stay true to you. Do what is, do what is you. Don't change your methodology just because you think it's what other people want to listen to, because then it's just going to be, it's not going to be like the best version of what you can put out. Oh, I love that. I think that that's, there's no truer words for any kind of creative endeavor, right? Because otherwise I, I just think it, people see right through it as well. If you're not comfortable and if you're not actually embodying whatever product it is you're creating, mm -hmm. the passion's not going to be there, right? Exactly. Yeah. So Tash, what about you? I'd love to hear what you think about all of that. Well, yeah. I mean, following on from what Ryan just said, as long as the mm -hmm. facts are there, as long as it's factually accurate to the best of your ability, have fun with it. Enjoy yourself because you're doing this for yourself as well as for others. And, you know, Karen, just as you said, if you're not oozing with enthusiasm, the audience is not going to take you. So you've got to be you at the end of the day, for sure. I'm a, I'm a much better writer than I am speaker. We'll put it that way. So like if, I, like if I can write down my thoughts and then speak them out as opposed to just, you know, thinking on the cuff uh, about what I want to say, there's much more detail into, into my answer and more thought. Whereas she is completely comfortable, I guess, just, you know, like ad-libbing. Um, it's just my personality, I suppose. One thing that I have really loved and wasn't expecting about this podcasting experience is the intimacy of these conversations with my guests and the way in which it allows me to enjoy the depth of 
intellectual rigor that I miss sometimes from working in academia. But, you know, to have it, as you said, Ryan, as if I'm sitting at a pub with this person and we're just so engrossed in conversation that we kind of lost track of the fact that there's a purpose to this conversation. It's just we're two people really grappling with exciting, interesting issues. They're fact-based and everything is geared to, you know, convey an educational bit of information to the audience, but we're just so deep in it. It's just, it's really quite magical when it works well. I think it's great what you both are doing and other people in our community in the heritage sector, so history and archaeology. The fact that we're using this time, well, Ryan, you've been doing it for quite some years, but for, for example, for Karen and I, we were using the opportunity of quarantine to really find a way to engage with the public and I love the fact that this, our community is growing and there's, there's more podcasts, there's more educational videos out there, Instagram, people are using it in the right way, they're using it as tools and I love it and I'm, I'm so excited to see what the future holds for us. I found that with, with the COVID quarantine and a lot of shift to online learning, a lot of people are now more comfortable. I can get, I can get a lot more people to come on as guests of the podcast because they are a lot more comfortable with it than they were not saying that like oh I'm glad that that COVID happened but I can I've just I've just I have so many guests that want to talk on the podcast whereas before it was like oh I'm a, they were like shy or I don't know I've never done anything like that uh, I don't like the sound of my own voice blah blah I mean I still hate the sound of my own voice don't get me wrong and the more you oh, we edit all it, the more hate you the hate sound it. of our own voices and, <laughs> and I'm like and, and but like now they're just used to it it's like ah but yeah, I found I, I found that people are a lot less shy to come on as guests because they're used to online stuff now. That, uh, the ones that are teaching, I suppose, still uh, currently during this this epidemic or pandemic. Yeah, silver linings. I love them. Well, I want to thank you both so much. This has been such a stimulating conversation and just really fun. Oh, thank you. Thank you for taking the time. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Working Overtime is part of the Little Fire Podcast Network and is made in collaboration with Past Preservers. Today's episode was recorded live across the globe over Zoom. It was produced by Karen Bellinger, Nigel Hetherington, Aidan LaLiberty, and Raz Cunningham. Our director was Raz Cunningham. Follow us on Instagram at Working Overtime Series. Thanks for listening and remember to like and subscribe.